I'm standing on the banks of the Seine River in the heart of Paris because we are taking you inside the Paris Auto Show. This is AutoLine. Bienvenue à Paris. Welcome to Paris. And I'm here on the Champs-Élysées telling you that because today we're taking you inside the Paris Auto Show. We'll be talking with some of the top executives at Ford, at Fiat, at Jaguar, and Volkswagen. So don't go away. We will be back right after this. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. Autoline Daily. John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get your all-access pass to the automotive industry at AutolineDetroit.tv. Joining me right now, Steve O'Dell, the CEO of Ford of Europe. A new position that you just got. You're brand new to this job. Yeah, well, I'm the old Steve O'Dell, but I just got a new job. That's uh, two months in. Uh, previously, I was the uh, uh, president and CEO of, uh, of Volvo Car Corporation. And prior to that, and that's where I first got to know you, is when you were with Mazda in the U.S., where you started the Zoom Zoom campaign. And I keep reminding everybody, that's the guy who did the Zoom yeah. Zoom campaign. I, I told my kids that, and they thought I was so cool. The truth is, a, a small group of people did. But, uh, and the nice thing is, it's still going. So. so you've taken over Ford of Europe here. What are the challenges that you see right now, this snapshot in time, right. that you've got to deal with? Well, clearly the economy is um, difficult around the world. I mean, scrappage programs came off in Europe June, July, and you, you'd expect some fall off. But then, and quite understandably actually, governments took what I think are necessary austerity measurements. Some will kick in now, some later. So you've got, if you like, a double difficulty of that happening. And we've seen the first half industry drop from a SAR of around 16 million. The prediction was around 14 million for the second half, although latest news I saw was that September's running closer to 14.9. So that's... A little bit better than you expected. A little bit better, but, but you know, and our projection in the next year is 14.5, so, which I think is the right conservative approach, plan on a conservative industry. Ford's always talked about going for profitability more than market share. You're not discounting now to maintain or gain share? Well, you know, in, in the volume market, everybody discounts, but it's the level at which you're prepared to go to. And um, you know, you see the fantastic cars here that that don't deserve that level of discounting. We, we've right-sized our capacity. That didn't happen throughout Europe, uh, but we can only run our own business. So, uh, with the new products that we've got coming, freshened S Max, Galaxy, Mondeo, brand new three versions of Focus and the Focus ST that you saw there, I think we've got enough news to communicate other than discount. Holes in the lineup that you see? Is there some places that you think that you've got to add more to? Well, I mean, it's it's like painting the fourth bridge or the San Francisco bridge. You know, you're always going to have to renew, and you can't do it all at once. You couldn't launch it, nor could you engineer it. 
you know, virtually brand new Fiesta, second best selling car in Europe. I heard yesterday a million Fiestas sold around the world in the last two years. That's so a lot of Fiestas. You have to think that's still doing okay. Brand new Focus, uh, brand new C-Max, I mean I forgot that, uh, the Grand C-Max, Freshen Mondeo S-Max, and obviously we're working on the commercial vehicles as well. So, you know, I, I looked at the cycle plan before I came back and I think it's a pretty good time. In the States, of course, Sync and now my Ford Touch or my Lincoln Touch are really taking off. What are your plans for introducing that technology in Europe? Yes, thank you. We, we, uh, we're introducing Sync and my Ford uh, actually tomorrow in the announcement when they come with this car and, and it enables a whole bunch of things as you know enables to you know keep your hands on the wheel while you're driving voice command navigation which is fantastic and it allows connectivity and, and one of the things we've been saying is the company that, that put the car the world on wheels is now connecting and putting the world on wheels distributors dealerships how's your retail setup in Europe right now what are you working on uh, actually it's pretty mature um, we've got I think the right number of dealers across Europe actually we've got growth opportunities in uh, Russia and uh, and probably some Eastern European markets but only when we see the markets really start to recover we don't want to put capacity in unnecessary does Russia fall under your purview as head of Ford of Europe? Yes, Russia. And that's, that seems to be off to the races right now, the just, market? Just starting to come back. I mean, mm -hmm. somewhat again stimulated by a, uh, a, a scrappage program, but it's a petro economy, you know, price of fuels going up, and you would expect the economy to start to recover. A couple of years it's been one and a half million units. Four or five years' time we can see it getting to three and a half million units. Ford, of course, is a very mature company in Europe, i.e. heavily unionized. How do you compete with some of the newcomers that have moved in here in Europe? The Japanese have been growing, the Koreans especially are getting strong. Right. It's probably only a matter of time before the Chinese are here. How do you compete with the unionized workforce? You've We've got, got excellent uh, alignment with the unions. In fact, we just agreed a deal yesterday with the unions in Genk. And um, you know, we're both happy with the outcome, both from a financial perspective and from the ability to put new, new uh, products in. So we're comfortable. It's something you always have to watch, capacity and cost, but we're, we're very happy where we are. What's your outlook for the profitability of Ford of Europe this year then? Yeah, I, I can't obviously give you an outlook. As you know, we made... Well, talk about the first half and of the year and, and we, the kind of momentum you may carry in the second we, half. We made, before me, uh, $429 million in the first half. Um, we said that there were some one-off specials in there. And we also said that we knew that this, the third quarter, launching products, low industry, in the fourth quarter would be more difficult. We're comfortable with the trajectory we're on and the investment we're maintaining for the future, not just a quarter at a time. Ford has had uh, partnerships with PSA for diesel development. Yeah. Are you looking for any other partners? I, I think everybody always looks at what's, what's available, but uh, and we, we just announced today the next generation of that uh, partnership where we'll be building and engineering uh, stage six uh, diesel engines together, which is wonderful. That partnership has yielded 16 and a half million engines in the last 10 years, which tells you it's a pretty good partnership. But you know, post Volvo, we will continue to sell and uh, engines to them and they'll sell them back to us. So there, there's, there's still a lot of going on there.
the North American product is getting really good right now, and clearly it's it's not designed for $7 or a gallon gasoline. Nonetheless, one would think that there might be some niche opportunities with certain North American product. Any thoughts to that? Yeah, I mean, it's one of the things clearly we look at. For me, one Ford doesn't mean European products go this way, and we, we will actively look at what products, and I can't tell you, of course, which one they be, could come this way, and I, and I think there's a, there's a nice opportunity for us. What am I missing, Steve? What else should we know about? What's the latest at Ford of Europe? Uh, well, I don't think you're missing too much. I think um, it's going to be tough, challenging, but it was the last two years. In the last two years, we were, frankly, as a company, we were talking about surviving. Now we're talking about growing. So it's going to be just as tough. It might just feel a bit better. Real good. Well, Steve Odell, thanks so much for Thank taking the time to talk good. with me at Appreciate this very busy event that you've got I, I going in the so. background. <laughs> Thank you very much. You bet. Here we are at the Paris Motor Show, and I'm talking right now with Jonathan Browning, the head of Volkswagen of America. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me right now. My pleasure. Well, here we are at the show, and Volkswagen is introducing the new Passat. We've had the Passat in the American market in the past, but I understand this car is not coming to the U.S. market. Why not? Well, uh, first of all, let me emphasize Volkswagen is on a really exciting journey in the U.S. market with some very aggressive plans for growth that involve new products, new facility, new production facility in Chattanooga, and an array of products that I think will really connect with the US consumer. So we're just in the process of launching Jetta right now. Next year we launch what we call the new mid-sized sedan. We'll announce the name probably at the Detroit show in January. And so we've got a range of product that really will help build our presence and our connection with the U.S. customer. The fact that we're not going to see this Passat there suggests to me that the, the new midsize sedan and the Passat are probably fairly close in size and the like. Yeah, in terms of the, 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 the product category, in the terms of the size segment, right. Uh, what we're doing, though, is making sure that we absolutely deliver the right vehicle for the U.S. marketplace. And so our portfolio is built specifically for the U.S. market, and we're choosing from amongst our global products and developing specific products for the U.S. market. And uh, uh, again, excited to, to be in January uh, at the Detroit show and revealing the, the, the new midsize sedan for the first time. Of course, that's been one of the criticisms of Volkswagen in the American market over decades now. Really cool cars, but not quite right for the American market. And while you've had a very loyal base of customers, not large enough. No. So why the change now? Why is Volkswagen creating a car specifically for North America? Well, I think let's go back to a little bit of history. I mean, Volkswagen was the first transplant into the U.S. market. So Volkswagen has this tremendous heritage in the U.S. market. And I think everybody of a certain generation really connects with Volkswagen, memories of Beetle of microbus, etc. We then went through a period, often driven by exchange rate pressures, where we couldn't be as present, as competitive in the US market. And I think what all of our activities now really show is that we're totally committed to the US market. The US market is and will always be a very important global market. And so in our growth uh, plans, in our plans to, to uh, make a, a leadership position for the VW group around the world, U.S. has to be an important part of that. Jetta, new midsize sedan, and other vehicles within our portfolio are really critical to delivering on it. 
What is Volkswagen doing differently from a, a design standpoint, the dimensions and whatnot of this new midsize sedan? What specifically are you changing for the US market? Well, I can't get into all the details in terms of the NMS, but let, let's maybe talk about Jetta and, and what you see in the market right now that we're literally in the process of, of launching. What you see with Jetta is a full array of, of, of products from the entry vehicle to the, the GLI that will launch uh, early next year, which really all represent the core VW values. Precision German engineering, great dynamics, great craftsmanship, and making sure that they really yeah, represent those true values of the Volkswagen brand. But what we've been able to do by balancing the engineering within it, making sure that we really offer uh, products that are accessible to customers to bring those in at a price point that represents absolutely outstanding value. So the Jetta is launched at a price that I think will surprise uh, many of our US customers and uh, will really resonate in the marketplace. I mean, the US market is tremendously competitive. We need to represent our products properly, but we also need to make them accessible to the customer. And I, I think that's what you'll see with Jetta, with the NMS. Uh, with the NMS, my understanding is that it's, it's being tooled up to be as much as 80 to 85% diesel. Uh, I mean, we, we can be pretty flexible in terms of the, the powertrain mix. Uh, I think that's that's on the high side. I, I think the U.S. market is uh, progressively accepting the clean diesel technology that we've been developing, and it's really encouraging to see how uh, you know, U.S. consumers are understanding the sophistication of the diesel offering as well as the environmental benefits. And you know, we see the diesel content progressively growing over time. I think uh, whether we see NMS up at that level, maybe that's uh, towards the the, uh, the latter stage of its life cycle rather than launch. But uh, people are accepting diesels as a real viable alternative to, let's say, the more traditional gas offerings. And of course, this would give you something very unique in the market, especially in that segment, and a great counter to the hybrid. Well, hybrids are a part of our future as well, and we're just in the process of uh, preparing our launch of the Touareg with a, a hybrid that is a really exceptional technical combination of a high performance and a high fuel economy. So we see hybrids as a part of the portfolio, but in, in terms of a progression of increasingly fuel efficient, in, increasingly environmental friendly, a progression from gas, alternative fuels, including uh, diesel, and then on to, to hybrid as well. So all part of the portfolio that we have coming to the US market. A product portfolio, of course, is hyper-important to get to these very aggressive sales targets yeah. that you have of about tripling your sales in the U.S. from where they are today. But the retailers are also going to play a critical role in that. What are you doing with your dealers right now? Do you have enough of them to really hit that sales target? Well, currently we have uh, just under 600 uh, retailers across the U.S. And, and we think plus minus a few that's around the number that we need on a long-term basis, but clearly, as you say, to, to grow uh, as aggressively as we're planning, that means every dealer has to increase in terms of capability, capacity, throughput, and a couple of areas that I've been very much talking about the dealers with in terms of specific points of focus are things like used cars. Uh, we have to build that capability to take the trade-ins to move those products through the system. And so it is about expanding the capacity of the network, not necessarily uh, significantly the, the number of points, but the capacity of the network. And we're moving aggressively. We've made the investments in terms of product. We've made investments in terms of uh, the, the product portfolio, the plant. 
We're expecting dealers and we are seeing a lot of investment from the dealers, but that applies right the way across the network. All dealers need to be ready to operate at this new level. We've covered a lot of topics here, hit some of the highlights. What am I missing? Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about, about what you're going to do with VWOA? I mean, I, I think the, the, the main message that I'd like to share with you and, and everybody else is this notion that v, VW is at home in America. That's been the case in the past. I think maybe we, we'd lost that connection with the US consumer through a number of external factors. Our focus right now is to build Volkswagen's presence and connection with the US customer again, really make US customers feel Volkswagen is an intrinsic part of the automotive landscape in the US and make the US a very important part of VW's global operation. And yeah, see all of these great products finding very good homes with very satisfied customers across the market. Very good. Well, Jonathan Browning, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me this morning. My pleasure. And I'm talking right now with Ian Callen, the head of design for Jaguar. Ian, great to have you here talking with Thank you. Uh, this Thank you. stunningly beautiful Jaguar, the CX-75. Tell us about this. Why so you like done it? This? Oh, I'm knocked out about it. As <laughs> soon as I saw it, I thought, I am going to get Ian Callum, and he is going to tell us Thank about you. this car. Thank you. No, it's, been, it's a concept car. It's, uh, it's a little bit of indulgence. We've done it to celebrate 75 years of Jaguar. And so we want to do something very special. And, uh, and also, we had this uh, technology kind of burning at us we want to do something with it so Julian Thompson and I put our heads together and said let's do a supercar something that we really like something we can enjoy and put this technology in it and just create something special for so Jaguar. talk a little bit about the technology behind it well it's electric um, uh, long-range vehicle uh, range extended vehicle it's got four motors in it at about 140 kilowatts each so the overall powers in hub motors no they're not hub motors no no they're not attached they're actually inboard in the car and uh, obviously there's batteries through the middle and then we've got these turbine engines charging the batteries. You're not talking turbocharger? Not turbocharger, turbines, gas turbine engines. Little beautiful gas turbine engines by a company called Bladen. It's a British company. And they sit in the back of the car and when you need the charge, they just click in they charge the batteries up very quickly. And so, you know, you can get about 900 kilometers on a, a tank of fuel in this thing. So it's, uh, it's pretty efficient. So you're not only making a styling statement with this car, you're really making a technological statement that just because Absolutely. Jaguar got sold to this Indian company called mm. Tata, you're not going to slow down at all. Absolutely not. You know, and our technology is as good as anybody else in the world. What's really nice about this is these jets are very special. I don't know anybody else that does them, actually. So, and it just makes, it makes, makes sure that people understand that our credentials are actually spot on. Now, wouldn't this make the absolute killer halo car for the brand? Any thoughts of putting this in production? You know, you'd probably have to ask one of my bosses that one. <laughs> I would love to see this in production for obvious reasons, but uh, at the moment it's a concept car. There are no plans to take it further than this, but as I say, concept cars are like throwing a rock in the pond, you know, and then you watch the ripples. So let's see where the ripples take us. Well, I'm going to join the lobbying group and make this Thank happen. Thank you very but much. Ian, thanks so much Thank for you. taking the time to talk Good. with us. Thank you. Yeah, talking right now with Giovanni Mastrangelo, who is the product manager, or how would you describe your title for this engine? The title is Platform Manager for the Small Gasoline Engine. 
small gasoline engine, and yes. we're talking about a very small gasoline engine here. Yes. Only two cylinders. Only two. Why did you decide to go with a two-cylinder engine? Uh, this one, we, we worked a lot on the concept. This one was the best architecture we were able to define. Uh, the, 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 the architecture definition, two-cylinder, coupled with the turbo and with the multi-air system, that is one of the most important pillars of this engine, allowed us to reach our targets, in particular in terms of CO2 emissions. Uh, we were able, with this uh, kind of uh, architecture, to reach uh, 95 gram kilometers uh, with manual transmission on Cinquecento and 92 with the uh, automatic, the MTA transmission. It's a sort of automatic transmission, always, always on Cinquecento. So 92 or 98 grams of CO2 per kilometer, that's very low. Yeah, absolutely. We think it's the best value that is right now on the market for what regards a gasoline engine measured on the European driving cycle. Now. My understanding is this engine will just go in the Fiat 500, the Cinquecento? Yep, that's right. Any plans to put it in other cars? Of course there are plans inside our organization to uh, put the engine in other A-segment cars. Right now we are launching the turbo version on the Cinquecento, then we will see what happens next year. Of course, everyone's going to ask, is a two-cylinder engine enough? Is there enough power put in that car? We think absolutely it's enough power, but it's not only a matter of the power, it's a matter of the fun to drive the engine will give you. We have uh, the Cinquecento with this kind of engine. We think uh, it's uh, similar, if not best, than what was, uh, what was the Cinquecento with 1.4 liter naturally aspirated. And of course, with two-cylinder engines, the worry is always about noise, vibration, and harshness, especially vibration. Especially vibration. You are perfectly right. We know that this can be one of the most important aspects of the engine. We worked a lot since the start of the project. There are many, many solutions in this engine that are studied to reduce, if not to eliminate, any problem in terms of vibration and noise. I can show you we have a counterbalance shaft that's in all of the engine 100%. With the counterbalance shaft, we completely eliminate whatever kind of vibration you can have. We have a structural oil pan. We have a lot of other solutions, very small items that allow you to reduce the MVH of the engine. And what kind of fuel economy might people expect out of this engine in the Cinquecento? In the Cinquecento, with the manual transmission, you have 95 gram kilometer. It's 4.1 liter for 100 kilometers. So extremely good fuel economy. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. And. What else am I missing? What else are you proud about on this engine that you'd like to point out? Uh, the, the, the most important things are two that I would like to, to, to quote. First one, this engine was built from scratch. It's not based to any other engine we have in our lineup right so now. So you did not take a four and cut it in two? Absolutely not. This engine was built from scratch. It was designed from scratch. We started from nothing and we arrived to this kind of architecture. The second one, the development phase from the, of course, we had a concept confirmation phase in which we were able to have a prototype demonstrating that the concept was very good. But from the concept confirmation to the start of production of the engine, 24 months. 24 months? Yeah. That's really fast for an engine. Absolutely, absolutely. There was a dedicated team of close to 200 persons, people, working only on this engine, physical collocation in a room, and they worked for two years only on this. 
and uh, we were able to do that. Now, I've, I've been told that when you hear the sound of the engine, it reminds a lot of people of the original air-cooled engine that was in the Cinquecento almost 50 years ago. Uh, it's, a, it's a reminder. The engine, of course, has a very nice uh, exhaust sound. You know that you can tune the exhaust sound on the engine, whatever you want, uh, with the, 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 the exhaust configuration. We were very proud to uh, have a little uh, uh, retro sound on this Cinquecento just to have a reminder of the past. So, you know, most of our audience uh, deals with horsepower and foot-pounds of torque. Do you know those numbers off the, the uh, top of your head? I, I know in European figures. Okay, uh, we'll European give it to figures. it, yeah, right. Okay, European figures, we have 85 horsepower of the engine. Uh, for what regards the torque, we have 145 Newton meters starting from 19,000 RPM. And it's only 0.9 liters, the engine. It's a 0.9 liter. To be exactly, displacement is 0.875. <laughs> Could you make it bigger, smaller, or is this the perfect size for it? We think that this is the perfect size. One of the, the, the aim of our work was to identify the perfect unit displacement of the engine. We think this one, for what regards the unit displacement, is the best figure that we can have. Of course, you can do that in two, three, four cylinder configuration. Very good. Well, Giovanni, thanks so much for taking the time. Very interesting engine. Thank you very much. Thank you. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. AutoLine Daily, John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get your all-access pass to the automotive industry at AutoLineDetroit.tv. I hope you enjoyed today's show from the Paris Auto Show, but as you probably realize, we barely even scratched the surface. So we're going to do another show next week, talking with more of the executives at the show, but also showing you some of the brands and the cars that we don't see in the American market, but some of which will be coming stateside. So for all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.